Welcome to Watch Night here at Ellen Parish Church. We're delighted that you came to join us this late night to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And we're excited also to welcome those of you who are joining us live on Facebook and YouTube or catching up later on when the services are still up there. My name is Peter Cross. I'm the parish worker for ministries here. And as I said, I'm just delighted to welcome you to celebrate Christmas tonight. Let's begin by preparing our hearts for worship. You are welcome, one and all, to the stable. You are welcome to Mary's side, to Joseph's side, and to the side of a lowly manger. We come to celebrate tonight, not because we are forced by power, but because we are beckoned by love. You are welcome. So let us begin our worship tonight by singing together, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We'll share together now John Betjeman's poem, Christmas. 
The bells of waiting advent ring. The tortoise stove is lit again, and lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain in many a stained glass window sheen from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to deck the ledge. The altar, font, and arch and pew so that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tram cars clang. On lighted tenements I gaze, where paper decorations hang, and bunting in the red town hall says, Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers, as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers, and marbled clouds go scuttling by the many steepled London sky. And girls in slacks remember dad, and oafish louts remember mum, and sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say, come, even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dor Dorchester Hotel. And is it true? And is it true, the most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and sea, become a child on earth for me? And is it true? For if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and inexpensive scent, and hideous tie so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. We continue our worship singing together on Christmas night, all Christians sing.
The reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, reading from verse 2 to verse 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen.
evening, folks. My name is Alistair Bruce, and I'm the minister here in Allen Parish Church. It's lovely um, to be here with to worship. Um, hopefully, I didn't just break it. Uh, let's pray together. Loving God, on this night where we come in anticipation for your coming to earth, for celebrating your birth, where the light shines. We pray that the light might shine into our hearts and into our lives. May the light shine into the words that we hear this evening so that we might be changed people as a result of what we do here. So may what we do be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. On the 24th of October 2013, um, my life was completely changed. I went from um, almost overnight, almost in, this, in a split second, I went from being not a dad to being a dad. But quarter past one in the morning on the 24th of October 2013, it was one of the biggest changes that has ever happened in my life. And of course, the changes don't just finish with with becoming a dad, you start to learn how to be a dad. You start to um, to learn all of the changes that happen with being um, a dad. And so I learned there was there was a thing that, that was called the Jedi hold that we were that um, a doctor told us that, uh, that if you if you kind of put your hand on on a newborn's tummy uh, when they feel restless then it, it's like them being in the womb and, and it'll, it'll soothe them rather than stroking them. Apparently they don't like that. So you, so you do that. And I would do that and, and, and James, uh, my, my son, would, uh, would, would, uh, would get calm. And it was called the, the Jedi Hold. And then we realized that, um, that in order to actually get him to, to, be, um, to be still and to be, uh, to be calm and to get a kind of really deep need bounce, um, so when he was older, I would I would kind of do this bounce, and I'd be standing in the middle of shops, kind of going like this, trying to trying to bounce him to sleep in the middle of uh, restaurants and all sorts of things. And then of course you learn that uh, that he crawls and therefore he moves, and you have to learn to put everything up high, and then he, and then he starts talking, and you learn how to kind of make him be quiet, that kind of that kind of thing. Um, and then, of course, we had another uh, wee boy, and, uh, and suddenly you have to learn how to how to manage two of them, uh, and they run in different directions, and they and they argue with each other, and all of those kind of things. And you learn how to um, how to how to be a dad to all sorts of different uh, different manifestations of um, of our children. As uh, as. As James, um, my wee boy, um, has grown up, we've learned different things. And it's a kind of natural sort of change. And as you grow up, you change and you go through all sorts of different kind of changes. You, you grow up, you move out, you go to university, um, you get married, possibly. You might change jobs, you might move country, you might move town, um, you, um, you might get a new haircut, um, you might be going bald, um, you might be going grey. All of these things change in your life, and these are kind of normal changes. Sometimes they're painful, and things change in our lives that are quite painful, and sometimes they're not painful, and sometimes you think they're going to be painful, and they're not. And psychologists call this kind of change continuous change. And it's a kind of normal and natural change. It's possibly uncomfortable, but it's a kind of healthy, natural change. And it happens to us throughout our lives. Continuous change happens to us all the time. And, and one of the helpful things with continuous change is that we have experts who have gone through that before us and can help us when we go through those kinds of changes. So we have um, guidance teachers that will help us when we're in school to find out what kind of jobs we would like, what kind of subjects we would want to study, what we're good at, and they kind of help us through that. And we have financial experts who will help us with our money as we get, uh, as we get more, uh, more stuff. We need, to, we need to manage all of that. And because they've been through that, they can help us with it. And then we've got parents and grandparents, and aunties and uncles, and those kind of folk that help us to uh, because they've they've maybe got some more life skills than us, and they can help us uh, uh, navigate some of those 
changes. And of course, we have um, children and grandchildren that can help us navigate through social media and, um, and how to work your iPad and all of that kind of stuff. That's what we have those folk there for, don't we, Bevan? <laughs> so, um, and, uh, and of course, you know that you've been, you, you, that, uh, that, that you've been advised when you move into the second hour of, uh, of lectures from your eight-year-old on the importance of, um, uh, of, of what a Minecraft noob is. I'll let James explain that to you. These are, all, these are all called continuous change. This is kind of natural stuff. But there's another kind of change. There's another kind of change that happens in, in the world. There's another kind of change that happens in our lives occasionally, and it's called discontinuous change. And discontinuous change is much more tricky and much more difficult to deal with. So examples of things that, were, um, that, that are um, discontinuous change are things like climate change, things, um, things like, like the change that led to the end of slavery, um, things that, uh, that led to the end of the segregation in the United States. This is all discontinuous change. And discontinuous change is much more tricky to deal with because there are no experts. This continuous change happens when there are no experts. It's the kind of change that nobody has experienced before, or at least not for a very long time. And so there are no experts that can tell you how to navigate that kind of change because you've not lived through it. So people hadn't lived through the end of slavery when, when that happened. People hadn't lived through segregation and the end of that when that had happened. We've not lived through climate change the way that we're living through that just now, the ending of, of apartheid in South Africa, again, that hadn't happened. It's a good thing that it happened, but we hadn't been through that before. And discontinuous change has also been quoted um, as, the, as one of the reasons for the collapse of great empires. Things like the Roman Empire, the Mayan Empire, is supposed to have collapsed um, because of discontinuous change. And... Um, and, and one of the one of the issues with it is that uh, uh, is that whether the outcome of this change is good or bad, whether it's positive or disastrous, it is really hard to navigate through because there are no experts, and it can be really confusing when you're in the middle of it. Twenty months, twenty or so months ago, showed this in our world with COVID and the rise of the various strains of COVID, we are living through discontinuous change. And with the Omicron strain, we're on the verge of another uh, restriction and on more and more of, of that kind of uncertainty, then we're living through that kind of discontinuous change. And we have uncertainty because there are no experts, there's nobody who has lived through this before. Nobody has experienced this kind of pandemic in the past, and therefore it's much more difficult to try and work out what on earth is going on. So it's no wonder that when you speak to people about how they're doing, that people are feeling a little bit on edge, and they're a little bit demoralized, and they're a little bit hesitant about what the future holds. And I saw this uh, meme on Facebook the other week, and I thought, yep, that's pretty much how I feel um, a lot of the time. The COVID pandemic has arguably, be, arguably been one of the biggest experiences of discontinuous change for a number of generations. In late 2019 and into, into early 2020, we began hearing about this virus that was happening on, in China, and we thought that this was going to maybe be a three-week uh, news story, and then we were going to forget about it. We didn't think that it was going to come here. And then a few weeks later, we had to deal with the seismic changes. That meant that we had to, um, had to um, go into a lockdown. And on the 26th of March last year, the Prime Minister announced that we would be going into complete lockdown of our lives. And at that moment, everything changed. We, uh, we changed how, we, how our working patterns were. We couldn't work, some of us. Uh, we couldn't leave our homes. Our lives were completely changed. And we thought that this lockdown was probably going to last for about three weeks. Twenty months later, we are still in the middle of it. 
We're still living with a level of restriction, and we don't really know how long this is going to last for. And so we're living through discontinuous change on a global scale, and it's huge. And so if you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, a little bit tired, a little bit hesitant, a little bit all at sea, then you are in good company. Because I think that this is pretty much what most of society is feeling at the moment. And so I wonder how it is that we deal with how it is that we deal with those kind of things when we feel like we've been thrust into a world for which we're not prepared. I wonder how we deal with stuff when we feel like we've been thrust into the middle of a world for which we are not prepared. Well, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to realize that we're in an unusual situation and probably give ourselves a bit of a break. And the second thing that we do is that we look for some people who have maybe, who are maybe thriving during it or who seem to speak into that situation. You look for examples of people who have maybe lived through a similar kind of discontinuous change. There are no experts on how to deal with what it is that we're going through, but there are people who have had to deal with some really unusual situations and we can learn stuff from them. And amazingly, some people have gone through that and thrived from it. Now, you may be wondering what on earth all this has got to do with the Christmas story. You came here to, uh, uh, to celebrate um, Christmas and to do a watch night service. Well, there are characters in the Christmas story that have dealt with discontinuous change and the kind of thing that, that, um, that can help us at the moment. The Christmas story gives us some different examples of people who are dealing with discontinuous change. And one of the characters that is often overlooked in a Christmas story is a man called Joseph. Joseph being the earthly dad of Jesus. And so Mary is going to come and read a little bit of, uh, of the story of Joseph from Matthew's account of Jesus' life. Mary. The Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 1, reading from verse 18 to verse 24. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Amen. So, Joseph lived about 2,000 years ago give or take a few years, in the Middle East. And if you lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, then your life was pretty much governed by traditions and by rules and by laws. Joseph would have grown up in a traditional Jewish family with traditional Jewish customs and traditions. If you think Fiddler on the Roof, then that's pretty much what Joseph grew up in. 
Joseph's life would probably have been mapped out for him. He would kind of know what sort of job he was going to do. He would kind of know who he was going to marry and how all of that stuff all worked. And so when it came to things like marriage, then it would follow a traditional set of rules. And so when two people got engaged in that, in, in, in that Jewish culture, then they were more joined than engagement is in 2021. It was, it was a kind of bigger thing. Um, it was a stronger kind of connection. And often the bride might have moved in to the, uh, to the, the groom's house and lived with the groom's family, uh, probably for a year before the marriage actually took place. And so this would have been the path that Joseph would think that he was following at this point. Things were changing for him, but he would understand the change. This was kind of normal change. He was kind of getting used to this kind of change. It was understandable change. It was continuous change. But then Mary comes along to him and tells him that she is pregnant. And you can imagine the slightly tense conversation that would have happened between Joseph and Mary, because Joseph would think, I don't know how on earth you got pregnant. And Mary would say, well, I got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And he would say, the what? I beg your pardon? Who is this Holy Spirit? And who is the Spirit family? And can I go and have a word with them? He would not have understood what was going on. And so we get a wee bit of an insight into the way that the, the, the customs and traditions would have worked. Uh, and when we hear the story leading up to Jesus' birth. So the bit that Mary read, where Matthew writes, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So Joseph chose to, um, to respond to Mary's apparent adultery through the laws and the traditions. If he had chosen to go through the laws and the traditions, then he would have taken Mary to court. And there were two outcomes, there was two extremes of outcomes that could have happened if he took her to court. One is that she would have been subject to public disgrace, and the other one is that she would have been stoned to death. Neither good outcomes. And so Joseph has been thrust in to this really unusual situation. Now, Joseph doesn't want to, certainly doesn't want to, to, to get Mary stoned to death, and he doesn't want her to be subject to public disgrace. And so he does something different. Although he follows the laws and the customs, he does something different. And this tells us a little bit about the heart of Joseph. He doesn't really know what to do, He's been thrust by no fault of his own into a situation that he's not really prepared for. But Joseph reacts in a courteous way. He goes against the traditions and the, and the laws and he breaks off the marriage quietly so that Mary isn't disgraced and so she's certainly not stoned. Joseph thinks less about himself and more about what would happen to Mary. And so there's a kindness and a compassion that seems to be ingrained into Joseph. And then as you read the story on, you find that Joseph has a dream. And in the dream, an angel comes to Joseph and tells him that Mary has been made pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that she's not committed adultery, that she's not done anything wrong, but that she really is pregnant through a miracle through the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph's patience, Joseph's grace, and his kindness comes out. And so Joseph takes Mary to be his wife, even although people won't understand, even although he's got this really strange situation, even although this is really odd, he follows it through. This right here is discontinuous change. Nobody has ever been asked to parent the child of God. At this point, he knows that that's what's going on. But nobody has ever been asked to parent the child, the, the child of God. 
Joseph has got over the shock of being a dad. He didn't know he was going to be a dad. Suddenly he's going to be a dad. Suddenly he's told that he's going to parent the son of God. And that has never happened before. And so for Joseph, there are no experts. There is no parenting the son of God editions of what to expect when you're expecting books. There are no TED Talks about how to parent the Son of God. There are no blogs, and there is definitely not classes on how to be a dad to an an omnipotent celestial being. Easy for me to say. So Joseph is on his own, doesn't know what to do, and he needs to decide what to do for the best. And as you follow the story even further through, you find that Joseph acts and behaves in a very specific way. He accepts the situation that he's in. He protects what is most precious to him, and he takes it one step at a time. And he acts with complete integrity. And so he deals with angels and shepherds, and eventually with wise men and weird gifts. And he also deals with a megalomaniac king called Herod, who wants to kill all of the children under two years old. And he flees to Egypt to protect his family, and then he comes back when he's safe. All of this you find in the Christmas story. And then we find that Jesus is brought up as a carpenter. So Joseph brings him up in the family trade. He probably teaches him what he can about his life and his faith, and he deals with things as they arrive. This was a pastor and writer called Marcus Watson, and he, in his podcast, in a podcast, says this. He says, Joseph acts with courage and integrity. Joseph acts with courage and integrity. And so we cope, as we cope with unusual situations, as we try and cope with the world as we see it, What we learn from this story, from what we learn from the Christmas story, is that people have acted with courage and integrity. That it's important to act with courage and integrity. These are important character traits. In 1968, the Olympic Games were held in Mexico. And the last of the events was the marathon. It's the final event on the, on, the, on, the, on the program. The stadium was full of thousands of spectators. This was the end of the Olympics. And as the marathon winner, leader, came in, the, um, the stadium erupted, uh, and the leader uh, went round the stadium, round the track, won the race, and was presented with a medal. And it's an extraordinary feat to win an Olympic gold medal. But what was even more extraordinary was what was happening further back in the field. There was a more compelling story that was going on back down in the field. A man called John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania had fallen and injured himself, but he refused to give up. And this is what happened. Aquari says that my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. He sent me 5,000 miles to finish a race. This is determination, but it's also courage and integrity. Joseph was called to unique circumstances, and he sees the job through. He was not called to just be by Mary's side for the start. He was called to father and parent the Son of God. He was terrified, I imagine, to parent God's Son, but he acts with courage and integrity. He teaches him, he protects him, and he loves him from start to finish. And what Joseph's story tells us is that as we deal with this discontinuous change that we're living through, through these lockdowns, is that it's okay to not have all of the answers, that it's okay to take one step at a time, that it's okay to feel a bit insecure, but holding on to our integrity and having courage is vital. Because in a world that's been rocked by COVID, by racial inequality, by the continued threat of terrorism, by climate change, and the continued inequalities of economics, qualities like courage, grace, forgiveness, compassion, and integrity are vital to our world. These are powerful words, and they are the qualities of faith. 
It's here that we continue to show kindness to our neighbors, that we continue to bear with those who are anxious, that we continue to wear masks in order to protect other people. And it's also where we continue to love deeply, look, uh, where we look for similarity instead of finding difference, where we seek to understand the other person. There was an article written just on the just at the start of COVID, but just after the Christchurch terrorist attacks in New Zealand. And a report in The Guardian commented on the leadership of Jacinta Ardern, and it reflected this. It said, terrorism sees difference and wants to annihilate it. Ardern sees difference and wants to respect it, embrace it, and connect with it. Here is an agnostic showing that love will dismantle hate. This is leadership. This light, she shines, guiding us through to a world where we see the best of us as well as the worst. Faith, no faith, or searching faith is really makes no difference because the facts are that the words of Joseph's foster son, Jesus, recorded in the Christian scriptures, tells us about loving enemies, tells us about forgiveness, tells us about compassion, tells us about love without limits or conditions. And living a life that displays and embodies this is living a life with courage and integrity. And I think this is what Joseph's story tells us and is wrestling to tell us about. This is what Joseph wrestles with to become Jesus' earthly dad. And this is what it's all about, courage and integrity. Courage to love without limit and the integrity to hold on to our bedrock and foundation even in the most difficult of circumstances. So how often do we get thrust into a world where we find ourselves not prepared? Well, what do we do when we're thrust into that kind of world where we're not prepared? Well, we act with courage and integrity, which really means that we act with love. And the claim of the Christian faith is that God loved the world so much that he sent his son to come to earth to show us how to live and to give his life in love and forgiveness. And so may we have the courage and integrity to accept the radical nature of that teaching and choose that path and follow where Jesus leads us, the light that came into the world at Christmas. Let's pray together. Loving God, you came into our world to teach us how to live, where we as humans mess things up. You came to show us the light to show us that there is no place for darkness and to show us how to be that light. So loving God, inspire us to courage and integrity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so when you came in, we gave you a card or a kind of ticket thing and a pen. What I'd like you to do, we're going to play a couple of songs um, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to think, um, spend a little bit of time thinking, a little bit of time um, considering what it is that God might be saying to you this evening about what you need or what you would like courage to do. Where do you need courage in your life? Where do you need integrity in your life? You don't have to, um, you can draw something on the card, you don't have to write anything specific, but as an act of um, of offering that to God um, when you're ready. If you um, wish to, you can come up and hang your card on the tree um, at the front as a kind of pledge to do the thing that, uh, that you've written down. If you've not got a card that's got a, um, that's got a tire on it, then just put it on the table. Let's just take a little bit of time and reflection. And so the hour has come, it is uh, now Christmas Day, may I be the first one to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. Um, please, um, before we light our final um, Advent candle, our fifth candle on our wreath, um, please uh, please wish each other a Merry Christmas. Um, of course, you can, uh, uh, you can hug or shake hands in your family groupings um, and you can wave to other, other people um, so that we keep each other um, as safe as possible. Thank <laughs> you.
is going to lead us in prayer. Let us pray together. God, we thank you that you welcome us here. Although many years passed and many Christmas celebrations have come and gone, we join those shepherds now in the stable. We celebrate your birth. Life is different now. <clears throat> with your presence, with us in your Holy Spirit, we pray for our world. We pray for all those known and named to us. We pray for our church. We pray for the decisions that will be made by those who have power to make change. Let us have courage to call people to account for good that needs to happen in this world. Let us be light in a world that needs it. God, we pray for all who are celebrating Christmas and all those who aren't. We pray for your world, created by you and loved by you. And there is no greater love shown than that you came and that you lived among us and that you died and rose again forevermore. We pray in Jesus' name as he taught us. Amen. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Neil. So let's sing together our closing hymn, O Come All You Faithful.
to walk from this place with the joy and the love and the knowledge of Christmas and go in courage and go with integrity. Blessing God Almighty, Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you. And I hope you love and always remain the miracle for love. Stay in the world.